go out on the branch because that's where the fruit is. And it's scary out there on the branch because it gets really thin and bendy and wiggly and the wind could blow you off or the branch could break and like you could fall a long, long way and hit the ground. It's going to really hurt. But guess what? Like in your hand, you're going to have this delicious fruit that you're holding and it's going to be so sweet and juicy that it will be worth it. Welcome to TG2 Chat Live, the podcast home of teachers going gradeless. I'm Michelle Cottrell-Williams, the 2018 Virginia Teacher of the Year and gradeless advocate since 2016. My guest today is Dr. Jay Purcell. Jay is an assistant professor of teaching and learning at Illinois State University, an author of several academic essays, and a TEDx speaker. Well, welcome, Jay. I'm really excited to have you here. Um, I guess let's start off by just introducing yourself and sharing briefly about what what brings you here. How how did you become part of this gradeless community? I can pinpoint it. It's sort of like like uh, like my whole entire worldview just like mm-hmm. on a pin, and I could feel it, it, it in in 2005. That's how I know exactly when it was, but it was. It was when all of a sudden, like, like it hit me like a pail of cold water to the face, just how, just how trivial and meaningless ascribing points to students' work was mm. uh, for my mission in the classroom, which I always took to be um, for my students to learn mm-hmm. and to learn what I hoped was the content I was teaching them in English uh, language arts or English literature or theater. Um, and, and for me to sort of like put a point value on an assignment or an essay or something like that. I just, I really saw the trivial, just the meaninglessness of that. And, and the fact that I saw my students shift the level of importance to that per- percentage, to that number, really that became the thing that they cared the most about in lieu of, you know, the content that I was teaching or anything that they were trying to get out of my course, they were just chasing the points. So it was right around that time where I decided to like eliminate points as much as possible for my grading. And again, it was kind of like a little bit trial and error. I wasn't quite exactly sure. All I knew is that at that point in time, I had to remove all the points because that's the only thing that the students were chasing. And instead, I wanted to shift the focus back on the learning. So when I made the shift to a gradeless classroom. And I started kind of evangelizing to other teachers. So often the question that I would get back from them was, well, if you're not giving grades, then what are you teaching? Uh, And that was always such a funny question to me because I was like, well, I didn't stop teaching. I just stopped putting a grade on the top of it. And so you talk about how taking away the points from your classroom allowed you to focus more on learning. Can you talk a little bit more about that and, and how you know that was true? Yeah. Um, well, I know it was true because I was there uh, with my students in the classroom uh, providing them feedback on their work over and over and over. And I watched you know, the process evolve mm, and they were mm-hmm. get to the highest quality class it would be. I know it because I would have high school students return to my classroom, you know, uh, semesters or two after they graduate and give me updates. I probably shouldn't say this, but they'd be like, (laughs) yeah, you know, I'm, I'm off at community college now. They'd tell me, I'd be like, oh, great. How's it going? They're like, it's awesome. I just turn in everything I did for your class and I get A's. (laughs) 
oh, that's great, but that's not really, <laughs> that's not really what I hear. But I mean, like, it was evident to me mm-hmm. that the quality of their work had improved drastically. And it, and it was because there were, like, I built in work sessions. I built in, like, feedback into that whole, like, process. Um, so I knew that, that it was working. That right. It, and, and it was also working because, like, once I eliminated that point, like, it was no longer there for them to chase. Mm-hmm. And I had some colleagues that you talk about being an evangelist, like me too. <laughs> this is the way it has to go, which, of course, like, not everyone was ready for. But sure. some people would be like, hey, I want to do that sort of, like, here in my class. But not, like, all the way, not uh-huh. here. And I was like, and I had a few of them try it. And it ended up being an abject disaster because, like, that point value system was always still in mm-hmm. place and like and i told them i was like i don't mean to be sort of like black or white like all or nothing here but like you really have to eliminate it entirely in order mm-hmm. to break them from that mindset in order to completely like shift the paradigm um but but once it's gone like now they have nothing else to chase mm-hmm. now the only thing that's there is the learning and i find it so fascinating to to your like the very beginning of your question about your colleagues who said, well, if you're not grading, then like, what are you doing? Like the idea that the only point of school is to get a grade. Like, I think that that is deeply entrenched in our whole entire society. You know, I mean, look, it wasn't even like it was your students who were coming to you saying that it was your colleagues, Mm -hmm. it was the teachers who like couldn't, couldn't imagine school without grades. Mm -hmm that like the point of school is to get grades. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's troubling to me. I know one fear that I would also hear was, well, students will just take advantage of me. They won't do anything at all. They'll just game the system. Uh, and get an A out of my class. Um, and what uh, with with these with this years of reflection of having done this, like how do you respond to that? I again, I understand where they're coming from with that sentiment. You know, something that's new and different is always going to be a little bit frightening at first. But I would say that it depends on how you set up the parameters of your classroom and specifically of your grading system. I mean, I've been trying to prove definitively that the way you grade your students as a teacher will directly impact their learning. Um, I don't know if I'm quite there yet. I'm mm-hmm. still working on it. But, but that's, that's a hypothesis of mine, that the way you grade your classroom is going to directly impact their learning. And so, if one, you eliminate all the points and all the percentages and all of that, and instead you craft something that's going to hold them accountable to producing high quality level of work, then there's, they won't be able to game the system. Like there's no system to game Mm. at that point. You know what I mean? And that's, that's the other thing about like absolutely removing it all the way is like that system is now gone. Um, So they don't have a system to game. It's not like if you just show up and breathe, you get an A in my class um, because we don't have it. We don't have a traditional grading system in here because there is a grading system. It just doesn't operate along the basis of points and percentages like the traditional one you've always known. It operates on the the basis of, you know, 
you have this amount of work to do. You know, by such and such a date, I need to see at least this much of it. Mm-hmm. If it's not good enough, and it's up to the teacher to spell out what makes it good enough. And, th- and this is sort of the beauty of it, too, is that you can set the criteria for whatever level of um, passing level or proficiency level or, dare I say, mastery level. Like, whatever you want that to be, you can determine that mm-hmm. as a teacher. If you want to tie it to standards, tie it to standards. If you don't, you want to tie it to specifications, tie it to specifications. But just come up with your own criteria. Like, in order for it to be passable, it's got to have this. In order for it to be really outstanding, I'm looking to see this, this, or this. And if it's not any of that stuff, it's coming right back to you. And you've got to get right back to work and get it to a quality where then we can talk about moving on. And if you can set that up so that you have, you know, an, enough enough of that work to earn whatever grade, then they won't, they won't be able to gain the system. Yeah. It's, it's going to... It's still up to you as the teacher to not hold their feet to the fire, but to, to to set the parameters of the expectations of the work level in the class and then follow through with it. A PE class is going to look a lot different than your history class. It's still going to look different than my English class, which is going to look different than the dance class. Mm-hmm. I'm a big understanding by design guy, backwards planning. So I would start like with the totality of everything that you want them to do and sort of then begin working backwards. You mentioned co-collaborating with the students, and that's an even better idea, is if you can from the start, like, like still have an idea of where you want to get to with that mm-hmm. design, but if it from the outset, you can pull them into it real quick and say, hey, this is kind of like what I'm thinking, this um, from here to here, but what do you all think? And inject some of their input into what they want to get out of civics or what they mm. want to get out of. Uh, hip hop dance or what they want to get out of you know, physical education three. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. Th- then that would be really good. And then uh, for me, you know, so each one of those is different and, you know, um, I would encourage people who are bought in want to do this is to, to get someone to collaborate with, get a colleague who's also bought in that, you know, you can say, okay, well, this is how I think I'm going to go about, uh, breaking down the workload. For me, I came up with like three different categories. We had like uh, written assignments, and I kind of spaced them out throughout the semester where there were 10. Uh, I had like major projects that were either like required by the district or just like had multiple pieces that they had to kind of like work together. Those were in a different category. Uh, then I had like daily journals, or I don't know if they were daily, but weekly journals, like you know, these things that they did over and over and over and over, like those are their own category. And then across those categories, again, I came up with sort of like quality criteria as far as what would put them in the top tier, what would put them in the middle tier, what would put them in the low tier, um, so that they knew like the quality of each of those different categories that they're working towards. And then there was a, in my mind, very simple calculation, (laughs) like, if you got top tier work in two of those categories and mid tier work in the third, that's an A. Mm. Like, that's really good. It means that like you're kind of like, no matter what, like you're doing good work. Mm-hmm. Like mid tier was sort of like you know good. Yeah. Um, top tier, like really great work, and that's like most of the time it's like really great work. I would always set it up for my students, like, hey, if I 
I'm the principal of the school and you're some of my teachers. And I say, well, Michelle, I need you to run a professional development for the rest of the staff at our next faculty meeting. Like I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, if I'm giving that task to you, Michelle, like it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Bare minimum, it's going to be good. But more likely than not, it's going to be awesome. Like it's really going to rock. Like that's the kind mm-hmm. of person that I know you are. And that's, that's an A. Like that's mm-hmm. level work to me. For the B, I just flipped it at where um, middle level, like you need two of the categories, top tier, the other. That mm-hmm. would be where, again, like if I give you the assignment, I know no matter what, like it's going to be good, but there's a chance it's really great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's still really good. I still mm-hmm. want that teacher in my building. I still want that employee working for me. Like that's a B. Yeah. Um, I just eliminated the top tier for the C. So at least two of the three categories had to be good. And then uh, there was no D. Now in higher education, I have that liberty where I have a little more academic freedom, but I just sort of like took some academic freedom back there in the classroom and eliminated Ds because what's a D anyway, really like anything less than mid two mid tiers just was, was failing. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, I was a big subscriber early on to retakes and redos. Mm-hmm. Like that, that was that was part of it. And as far as like building it into to your class, um, I would tell my students like you can make it anything you want to, but you have to get this amount of work up to this quality level. And if it's not, like I'm sending it back to you. Yeah. Um, so for yeah. You to improve it, and and then you can literally make it whatever you want. But in doing so, like I would carve out like Fridays. They were sort of like just work days. They were like work slash conference days. And I'd be over at my desk conferencing with students about, you know, writing assignment three that they're busy working on to try and like revise it into a mm-hmm. higher quality, a higher tier or whatever. Um, meanwhile, the rest of the class is like busy working on all of their stuff because like they're all trying to do the same thing independently at their desk. And it's like, okay, you know, Johnny, back to the seat. Like who else need, you know, somebody else coming up. Now they're asking me about performance assessment one, because that's what they're working on revising. Yeah. And I always tried to make those conferences student led, of course, you mm-hmm. know, what, what are you coming to me here for some advice? And I, you know, would just give them that feedback either like right there. Um, I tried as much as possible to set it up. So it wasn't just like an avalanche of things for me to read and grade, and not grade, but like write feedback on, mm-hmm. which I would do, of course. Um, but as much as I could make it, conferencing and having them telling me what's going on and me just being like the idea guy sitting there like, Oh, you know, I I love it how you switch into like third person here. But what if you instead like imagine that, whatever, I just like throw out Mm -hmm. ideas for them and then like, Oh yeah. Okay. And then run, run back over to their desk. And it'd be funny when, you know, people from the office would show up with little nail slips or something on those Fridays, you know, and they like walk in and like the whole room is just like busy working. Yeah, we're yeah, learning. Like they're off task, like mm-hmm. having chats about the weekend or something. Like watching a movie. Literally, literally like engaged at their own independent stuff because they're all on different levels mm-hmm. while I'm like running conferences all day. And, and those were really rewarding days. I mean, because that's when you really got to see the fruits of your labor, I think, or at least this is how it was for me, you know, because I would take just a second in the middle of those conferences and kind of like, look at the room like mm. observe this all going on like like yeah this is it this is the learning that's happening in the school yeah 
they're busy at their desks working on their work because they're trying to improve the quality of it. Sharing that particular example because you didn't have to stay after school every day for two weeks to do these conferences, right? Your classroom was set up so that students were driving their learning all the time anyway. And so you can have these conferences during class. You don't have to be standing at the front of the room for learning, quote unquote, to be happening with the students. Right. Yeah. You know, and it would, as the semester had gone on, we would fall into a pattern where they'd sort of like, they'd get their writing assignment right off the bat, you know, in the, the first, or then we'd do that journal, you know, sort of mm-hmm. like insert these early in the week and as the week fell out, then, you know, by Friday, you know, that's, that's work day. That's when, that's when we're grinding. And now as the weeks stack up, you know, maybe they rocked assignment number one. They don't need to worry about that anymore. Um, but, you know, somewhere maybe two wasn't quite as good. They, eh, now they've got three coming at them, you know. And so, like, now they're having to prioritize, like, what mm-hmm. do I need to work on here? You know, it's not even just what <laughs> – what percentage do I need to get on this test in order to get the grade I want? Yes. But it's like, you know, which piece of my work here is in the best shape or which one needs the most work that I can focus my time on? I mean, those are like really important skills. Oh, yeah. Prioritizing and managing your workload. And and those are all things that were happening in my class that had nothing to do with English, you know, yeah, or English right. literature. That metacognition. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Did you spend any time at the start of the school year or at the start of the semester, like teaching about your grading or gradeless philosophy to students? Yeah, I did. Uh, especially at the beginning, like telling them this is how it's going to go. And then it was like a, a consistent, consistently reinforcing it because I mean, again, like their mm-hmm. anxiety was high right up. Yeah. I've never heard of anything like this. It um, doesn't make any sense to them, especially early on. I would find that the ones that would struggle with it the most were the ones that were, you know, just um, they they came into the game already possessing a certain level of skill mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. they really didn't have to exert very much effort or energy. Like it was really great because I could say, okay, well, Michelle, like you submitted this and this is good. Like, but I know that you can do better. Yeah. What about this, that, and the other? Like, I'm, this is immediately mid-tier. Like, this is good. Yeah. If you want to make this great, you know, try this, this, or this, go. You know yeah. what I mean? <gasps> what do you mean I'm not done? Yes. Like, well, like, yes. And that opportunity for your advanced, cognitively advanced learners to right. get to learn this year, too. Right. Because I I imagine they could even turn something in that is like, this is amazing. You could stand in front of the school right now and do this. But if you wanted to stand in front of a national audience or like have this filmed or like professional, it's going to need to get to this level. Right. Like your top tier for for ninth grade. Uh, So let's get you top tier for the next level. Ooh, that's good too. And it, it and it was again freeing. As soon as you're not bound to that system that sort of like locks everything in, like you're free to differentiate. Yeah. Um, yeah. And 
I, I guess there's some, you know, criticisms that I've heard. I've heard them all. Um, but like the idea, especially for retakes, well, if you allow retakes, they're just like not even going to try on the first one because they know that they can like redo it the second time, right? But if you have it set up like that, we're like, there's more and more work coming down the pike. So like if a kid's just not going to try on the first one, well, guess what? Like next week they're getting assignment two. And now like they've got to redo assignment one and they got number two. And then, then week three's coming like right after that. You know what I mean? So that's sort of like automatically eliminated for that. I never saw students like just, I don't know, give me a bunch of garbage on the first one just because like they knew they could redo it. Like, like they weren't about to do that at all because they knew that they were going to have to conference with me. And I was the, the students that I saw um, take to it immediately were the students that really had to work hard, you know, for, for everything that they, like the ones that just, it didn't necessarily come easy to them. And they were used to <laughs> putting in a whole bunch of effort in order to get out anything like because they would get theirs returned to them first too. Like, Oh, yeah. well you need to revise this, that, and the other. And they'd be like, wait, what you mean? I can change this? Like, Oh yeah. Just make this change. Then, then yes. this, and then they come back to me and they're like, Oh, how's this now? Like, Oh, this is so much better, mm. much improved. And guess what? You can make it even better. Like, I can't. Like, oh, then you're off to, you know, and working again. And I mean, again, like, I'm getting sort of like goosebumps and chills, but like, it was a totally different model. And so when I talk about like shifting the focus in the classroom from earning a bunch of points to actually learning, like, Mm -hmm. these are the things that I'm remembering, like, from my classroom is because I saw it happening on a daily basis. Mm. Yeah. And I had, speaking of those students that like, came in with a high level of skill or uh, maybe just didn't have to try and they could just like, mm-hmm. or like produce gold without even trying or something. Right. And then when I, when I, you know, said, Hey, well, I still have higher expectations for you. Like they didn't like that at first. And I had some that would like resist me all the way down. Mm-hmm. And they were some of those students that came back to me later and said, you know what? Like your class made me so much better. I hated yeah. it at the time, you know, cause you forced me to work. Like, right. About ready to say it, and then and that speaks to what your colleague was wondering about, like, well, you know, how? how <laughs> what are you going to teach? <laughs> what are you going to teach, or how yeah. you like, prevent them from just sitting there and taking right. advantage? You, like, like, no, no. <laughs> My students were forced to work in the classroom. It had yeah. nothing to do with like a percentage of points possible. Yeah. Well, and 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 you know what I'm hearing you share is this: the students who came in with a fixed mindset. Mm. Sure. learned about the the value and the reward and the the we're able to shift into a growth mindset right yeah. through yeah. through getting to experience uh mistakes and failure and like come back and learn more and get better right yeah yeah. They didn't like it in the moment like it put them out of their comfort zone you yeah know? But- especially the ones who first try has always been good enough. Michael Follin uh, is is an education change theorist, and he talks about an approach called ready 
fire aim. So he says in education, often uh, we get ready to do something and we aim and we aim and we aim trying to get it just right. And then we never actually fire, right? We never implement the change. Uh, And so in what ways would you say you advocate for or you yourself implemented more of a ready fire and then aim approach? And how have you seen that as being useful to you in your progression as an educator? Well, I think it's incredibly useful, and it, it is the way that I operated, I think, for pretty much most of the initiatives that I did in the classroom. I would always tell my high school students, and I now always tell my secondary teacher candidates, it's going to happen this semester, too. I can't even wait. It happens every single time, but I tell them the story about, like, don't be afraid to take risks. You have to. Go out on the branches. Mm-hmm. That's where the fruit is. Mm. Like you could spend all the time like clutching the trunk of the tree, and guess what? Like you're gonna be safe. You're gonna be good right there yeah. clutching the, the. But I promise you, like go out on the branch because mm. that's where the fruit is. And it's scary out there on the branch because it gets really thin and bendy and wiggly, and the wind could blow you off, or the branch could break, and like you could fall a long, long way and hit the ground. And it's gonna really hurt. But guess what? Like in your hand, you're going to have this delicious fruit that you're holding. And it's going to be so sweet and juicy that it will be worth it. It will absolutely be worth all the pain and all the fear and all the anxiety in the end to like get there. Yeah. You will never you will never know that if you just keep clutching the trunk of the tree. Dr. Jay Purcell has been my guest today. Thank you for joining us for this episode of TG2 Chat Live. You can find more great content on our website, teachersgoinggradeless.com, on Twitter at TG2Chat, or on Facebook at Teachers Going Gradeless. If you enjoy this content, please consider supporting our efforts by becoming a TG2 member. Go to patreon.com slash gradeless and choose your level of support. At this time, we would like to thank new members, Susan Bloom, Nicholas Emanuele, and Bill Flack for their gracious support. Thanks for joining us. We hope to see you for the next installment of TG2 Chat Live. Mm -hmm.